No, 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 no. I mean, she loves seeing the new Condros. Um, speaking of. Yeah, speaking of, so shout out to our one of our episode sponsors, Phoenix Reptiles, Bill Stiegel. Uh, he sent us out some shirts. He had us over at his party. Great guy, great snakes, great chondros. I need to, man, he's got great sales tactics. And I, I want to dive into this real quick, but I kind of started like pulling the pieces together. He sells a lot of ball pythons and he doesn't go like to the like, you know, desert ghost pied clown like he doesn't sell the thousands of dollars ball python he sells that entry-level pet and so people get these pet ball pythons and they come to his place to pick it up and then they see all these amazing green tree pythons and then within like a year they're they're dropping like fifty thousand dollars no i'm joking not that much money but a lot of money on the green tree pythons and I'm like oh yeah you you provide the beginner snake and then when they're ready you have the next like the unveil for them like you're ready or um, just like the the tag along like I I did when you went to do all your green tree python stuff during Arlington, like that just planted the seed for me. So right, exactly. It's anybody who goes to that place to pick up a ball python just to go look or to get a blood, uh, you just see them and you're like, yep, someday it's happening soon. Um, and here I am, five deep. So, uh, <laughs> snakes anonymous. <laughs> starring lucas all right well let's jump into it welcome back to the retic lounge everyone's favorite new uh retic podcast we are doing uh the retic lounge mythbusters today that's a big statement i feel well maybe we're the like the only one so sure if we go everyone's favorite retic and only retic podcast favorite new retic podcast yeah <laughs> fuck it i'll go bold <laughs> But we're we're gonna bust some myths about reticulated pythons or just snakes in general that you know us as keepers and just reptile people often hear. Yeah, I. So when it comes to myths, I think a lot of the ones that we're gonna talk about today is like large constrictors. But then we also we're gonna talk about like the superdorf stuff um and some of the bits that come along with there but i just want to give a special shout out to our patreon members um if you're not a member of our patreon this is kind of a little bit of the insight that you get being on our discord but we we threw out that we were recording this episode and we wanted everyone's feedback and so most of the things that we're talking about today are actually uh inspired by our patreon members they they gave a lot of funny not funny, quite serious, but different type of myths that we're just going to uh, crack and bust today. Yeah, so if you want inside access and influence into these episodes, join us over on patreon.com slash the retic lounge. Uh, Lucas, you want to jump into our first myth on the board? Yeah, I do. Um, so first thing is retics are... So there's kind of two different ones on here, but retakes are nippy. And this one was referring to specifically the super dwarf and dwarf uh, related mm -hmm. uh, subspecies, if you want, or, or you know, localities. Um, and uh, that, I don't know, for me, couldn't be further from the truth. I don't know about your experience, but uh, I can go into grave detail on why I think that's bullshit. Whether you're just getting into retics or you've been breeding for years, the first place you want to visit is Stewart Design. 
more and more breeders keep showing up at shows on Morph Market and are all over social media. Sometimes it may feel possible to get anyone's attention. Stewart Designs helps small businesses like yours do big things through brand clarity, helping entrepreneurs to start and scale businesses that are easy to know and love. Their work can help any company or industry, but they've done a ton of work for ours. Stewart Design created the brands for US Arc, Canova, Reach Out Reptiles, Coiled, and dozens of other well-known reptile breeders. Like many of us, the owner of Stewart Design, Blake, is a keeper and breeder who fell in love with Retix through first working with Garrett Hartle. Although Stewart Design does a lot of corporate work, Blake has a passion for working with people in the reptile industry. Stewart Design can help if you're just getting started or you're ready to take things to the next level, you're struggling to stand out and build your presence online or at shows, you don't want to be like the other guys or get lost in the crowd, and you want to make your own way doing what you love. And also, you have big ideas and know your business is special, but you need help sharing it with the reptile community. If something here resonates with you, reach out to Blake and have a conversation. To learn more or get started, visit stuartdesignbrands.com or call them at 855-SD-LOGOS. Clear brands own markets. Stuart Design helps create them. If you are in the market for an enclosure for your reticulated python or any other one of your reptiles, Focus Cubed Habitats is your one-stop shop for not only the best-looking cages on the market, but also provide amazing features and add-ons to your cages. We partnered with Focus Cubed Habitats because they continue to innovate and change the way we house our animals unlike any other caging company out there. Their cages are designed intelligently and provide the most stylish and secure housing for your animal's comfort and well-being. Visit FocusCubedHabitats.com for your animal's caging needs. Again, visit FocusCubedHabitats.com for some amazing and stylish enclosures. We also want to thank VivTech Products for being an affiliate sponsor of the Retic Lounge. Stop by VivTech Products for the best UV spectrum lighting on the market that will enhance and improve your snake's overall well-being and health. Visit VivTechProducts.com and use the code RETICLOUNGE23 today for 15% off. Again, visit VivTechProducts.com and use our affiliate code RETICLOUNGE23 today for 15% off. Looking for the perfect accessories for your hatchlings or juvenile retics? Look no further than Heli Guy Serpents. Our sponsor, Chris Sexton, is coming in hot with an amazing 3D printer, creating top-notch perches and other caging accessories for your beloved pets. Enrich your retics environment with their high-quality products. Use our promo code TRL10 for a 10% discount on your purchase. Visit them today at heliguyserpents.com and start giving your pets the best. Heli Guy Serpents, the premier source for 3D printed caging accessories. Again, that's www.heliguyserpents.com and use our promo code TRL10 for 10% off all of your 3D printed accessories today. I mean, I've only worked with dwarf super dwarf stuff and I don't notice them being overly nippy. Yeah. When I hear the word nippy, I, I'm thinking about like hatchlings, right? Or like yearlings. I'm, I'm thinking of like defensive, like scared of touch kind of attitude. Yeah. Now, now one, 
one thing that I've heard people say is they're flighty, right? And that's a whole different mm-hmm. discussion. But nippy, I would disagree. Like, if we're talking about, like, okay, I've only produced one mainland clutch. Um, and then outside of that, I've produced three different Superdorf locality clutches. Um, my three Superdorf locality clutches never been bit by a single one of those babies. Um, my mainland clutch that I recently hatched, um, I've probably been bit by every single one of them five times. Uh, so, so right there, just in that small sample size. But then what I also like to like consider as well, um, a lot of people that, you know, have actually gone out to the mainland islands and Daniel Solis was talking about, you know, he's, he's gone out to Salayer, he's gone out to different parts of Indonesia and he's gone to the Superdorf Islands, some of them, and he, he's never been bit by, I think he said that on a recent interview on Reach Out Reptiles podcast. He's never been bit by a wild caught, not even wild caught, like just captured right there. They, you know, they've mm-hmm. never been bit by one. Um, I, I don't. I think they're a lot less inclined to bite. Let me ask you a question. Seeing as you work with both mainland reticulated pythons and dwarf super dwarf locality pythons, so, um, what do they like to do more than anything in the world, especially when you're handling them? Uh, just move up uh keyword but yeah or yeah, move. Take, take, yeah move move they, yeah retakes like to move so i i don't think they're particularly more flighty i think just the smaller animals are able to move a little bit more than you know a large mainland reticulated python yeah i i just i i don't think that superdorf and dwarfs in general are well, I mean, Superdorf dwarfs. Now, we're also talking about the dwarf side. I don't have too much experience with Jampeas, but I can say with Salayers, a lot of the early stuff, I have an F1 Salayer, and she's a mean snake every... Not not even... Okay, let me take that back. She's not mean. I, what I meant by she's bad, and what I mean by bad is she has her bad days, and when she has her bad days, she'll, she'll kill me if I let her. Um, but then I have a captive bred Salayer male, Um and he's like, I just posted a reel of him on my Instagram and, uh, and I shared on the, the caption section, like he is, he is like one of a few animals that I can open up and never have to worry about a food response bite. I, I open it up and, and I've never done like, he was never trained on choice based handling, never did any of that. And he just like curiously, like the moment I open it up, it's long tongue flicks he comes out, and if I have the hook in one hand, he comes right to my hand. And I, I love to – Sean can vouch for this too. Um, I'll just keep backing up further and further, and you'll see this guy sticking out of his enclosure, like seven feet holding himself up, waiting for me to just grab him. Um, he just likes to come out. So, Yeah, uh, I, I think the more animals we keep, the more we know, especially if we're just keeping – one species we notice their personalities especially the difference in personalities yeah um yeah you get lucky with those yeah i mean on the other hand you know i have the home hair and the turnate stuff and um you know i can't say the same for them as babies as i can the superdorfs that i've hatched you know i had the home hair since they were like four or five months old and um they were demons for the first like they were just scared and hated me and didn't want to be held for almost their first full year of life um I've worked with them and they're better now, but I, yeah, my, my, all of my clutches that I produce, the Kaiwadis and the two Kalatoa clutches, not a single biter in that clutch. You can ask anybody that owns any of those snakes and they're, they're super chill. They yeah. just want to move. They want to get a, they just, you know, if they don't want to be held, they just, 
you know, want to, they're quicker and they just want to get going. Well, I noticed that about uh, my first clutch to my second clutch. My first, I mean, I had a lot of nippy babies in there, a lot of defensive babies. And, you know, if you were handling them for a little bit of time and then you, you know, moved in front of their face a little bit too fast, you might get nipped within their first couple of months. But, right. Um, yeah, the second clutch, really not much of that at all. Yeah. Did you incubate at lower temps? Uh, I think by half a degree. I'm interested in that theory because, um, uh, Eric Lee said when he went from like incubating at 88, 88.5, and then he dropped it down to 86.5, he says the babies come out and they're, they're nowhere near as defensive as they used to be. And I, I decided I to say 87 or so, yeah. and I was having like half degree fluctuations, a degree fluctuation at most. Yeah. I'm having about like half degree fluctuations right now from 86.5 to 87. So I'm, I'm dropping my incubation temps about a full degree this year, not to experiment with that, but, um, Paul Lucas reached out to me and, uh, he's really excited for the Slayer clutches. He's like, Hey, you should incubate lower to see if you get more females. He's like a couple of people have recently done it and they reported more females. So I was like, I'll give it a try. I did have, a, I did have quite a female heavy clutch this year too. Yeah, I mean, I, I've i incubated at around 87 and a half the whole time that I've been doing incubation and breeding, and um, uh, my female-to-male ratio has always been higher for most clubs. Well, I also had two parthos last year, but even besides that, I've had more females than males. All right. All right, well, I guess moving on to the second one, I, I hope we answered that sufficiently enough. <laughs> or at least we, we debunked it. Yeah, I don't think super we, dwarf dwarfs are we more nippy it. than any other reticulated python. And we all know what kind of food response a reticulated python has. Yeah, myth busted. <laughs> Next. Adler, this is where you come in. Uh, <laughs> not intel- They are not intelligent enough to differentiate their keepers. What's your experience with that? Because I also uh, want to make sure this, that we're not is... we're not humanizing them, or what, what's the word? Um, I want to make sure that we're not anthropomorphizing them, whatever that word is. I I think they just respond to handling differently. Like there's, like you were saying, uh, there's a Solaire you would take out for someone that was coming into your snake room, and there's a Solaire you wouldn't take out for someone coming into your snake room, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, so if I have someone over, cause I don't have any helpers or anything like that, uh, as long as they're calm and they're in a good space and want to be handling the animals, I don't have any problems as long as I'm giving them an animal I'm trusting in that moment. Yeah. I, I think that the statement of they can't differentiate between their keepers and other people, like I, I think they can, um, like they're, yeah, they're I was going to say, I want to, I want to defer sm- to you because you have at least Sean to be kind of your... Well, Sean, and then I've recently had my niece and nephew over earlier this year. My brothers come over and they handle them and and they all come over and they handle them and... Um, but like handling to them, them to a point where they're getting them out of their enclosures? No, like I will get them out of the enclosures. I will give them the snake and I will say more times than not, they always gravitate towards me again. 
and they're handling them calm. They're not freaking out. I mean, my niece and nephew, the first maybe five minutes, they were a little like nervous and giggly and mm-hmm. like that nervous laugh. <laughs> but, um, you know, I definitely think they have the intelligence and capabilities of, of, you know, knowing who the person is that feeds them, that cleans them, that, that takes them out that like, that would be, I don't know, with the retics intelligence level, the, it would almost seem silly to think that they couldn't do that. But again, I'm trying not to anthropomorphize them and, and make it seem like they, you know, they're my best friend and, and not, you know, friends with the neighbors. But um, at the same time, I've noticed behaviors where they do gravitate towards me when they're with another keeper. When I took them out, I give it to them and they'll come back towards me um, or not another keeper, but just someone that's, you know, there, my garage family member, whatever. But um I think they learn our behaviors. They learn our body language. They, you got to understand retics are studying you left and right. And, and, and to my point with, with Sean being the helper and that other person who's actually physically taking them out of their enclosures, mm-hmm. do you notice a difference there? Um, like not how, how I, animals I would... are reacting to him as opposed to you. When he first started, he's been with me for over a year now and okay. he basically gets every snake out of the enclosure uh besides the slayer and you know so from- what what differences were you noticing uh, when he wasn't as confident of a handler uh i mean confident or just newer just they they were moving quicker trying to get away more um or you know he was holding them and i'd be next to them and they again they would come towards me um those kind of things okay yeah um you know he he interacts with them plenty enough that they're I think they know him by now. Uh, and I think that statement in and of itself is enough to kind of debunk that myth of they, they can't differentiate who their keeper is because Sean at this point is it's a slow season for him. He's got Bannon doing his stuff. So he's over once a week on a good week, maybe twice. But other than that, he's over three days a week and he's, you know, I'm in the garage side by side with him and he's taking them out. There's even days where he comes over and I have Aspen and can't really be in the garage and he's doing his thing and doesn't have any issues anymore with before he used to be like, Hey, you know, this snake's acting a certain way. Can you help me? And I'd go help him. And, um, now that I can't remember the last time he told me to do that. Okay. So So I think, I think they warm up to the person. If you have more experience and more, uh, uh, when you're exposing yourself more to the animals, they get more comfortable with you. Yeah, I think they start to understand tendencies in their keepers for sure. Yeah, I mean, like I said, they, um, uh, you know, the beautiful thing about retics is, um, they they are a lot more complex with with how they. I mean you know, like even if their heads are still, you see their eyes moving and tracking you. Mm-hmm. And we we all have our own body cues, our body language, and the way that we, we clean and the way that we do things. And there's no way that they aren't able to pick up and know who's in that room at that time. Or they might say like, who the hell is this person? Like, maybe not person, right? They probably don't know we're people. But, um, but yeah, I definitely think they're able to distinguish familiarity and with anything that we become familiar with, we become more comfortable with. So, okay. Busted. <laughs> um, 
The next one I thought was interesting when someone said this because I, I've heard this a lot about Burmese pythons, but mm -hmm. apparently, you know, there's there's this information that retics get respiratory infections. I mean, easily, they, they easily, <laughs> sorry, easily get respiratory infections. Whoops. They absolutely can get respiratory infections. They're immune, immune uh, to nido, immune to respiratory infections. <laughs> Lucas says they are the indestructible snake. They are. Besides when they fuck up their own face, but <laughs> and have mystery diseases. Right. Yeah. Shit. <laughs> Too soon. Sorry. Had to call you out on that one, bud. <laughs> um, so I mean, yeah, in my let's see, seven, eight years keeping retics, I, I haven't dealt with a respiratory infection yet. Uh, the one person I know personally that's dealt with a respiratory infection was moving an entire collection a couple states away, I think even close to the winter time. So, and it was an older animal. So, yeah. Lots of stress and, you know, yeah, other I, factors in play. I will say that retakes are probably one of the hardiest pythons out there, period. Mm -hmm. Um, Hardy as hell. Like to give a a, a retake a respiratory infection, it's got to be. They love humidity, so it's not. You know, it could be eighty degree. It could be eighty ninety percent humidity twenty four seven, and as long as their enclosure is dry and not building up bacteria, um, and and not hosting, you know, uh, uh, mold and those kind of things, you know, my the average humidity in my garage is seventy percent day in day out. Um, uh, and they, I don't have an issue with it. Now, the one thing that I will say about retakes and respiratory infections is if you have one that has a mild respiratory infection and you don't get it treated and then like it sheds and you think it's better, they will linger and it might not be very, um, it might not like be very substantial, but they will come, they will go, they will come, they will go until you finally actually treat it appropriately um so if in that route we're talking about easy to get respiratory infections like if it has one it's easy for it to maintain it if you don't treat it just like any snake i think um but i i would say that retics are probably one of the hardest animals to neglect and get sick yeah i i haven't had problems besides i'm destroying their faces yet yeah and then you know weird neonate stuff but that's that's a different story. Part of being a breeder, right? Yep. Bullshit. <laughs> um, so, yeah, no, I don't think that they're easy. I think Burmese pythons, on the other hand, are different. Um, yeah, I don't think they're overly, overly susceptible to respiratory infections. Yeah, no. Now, uh, so um, what, what about, like, this idea that we can't house them in naturalistic, a.k.a. or otherwise known as bioactive or, you know, but, but that retakes cannot be housed in those type of settings. What do you mean? We can't, we've been doing it for years. Successfully. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, we can't, not, I we mean, can't do it because in, they're in too the big industry. It's not standard, of course. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that we can strike a balance, you know, not everyone has to be, uh, has to do the naturalistic stuff because it's not easy. And of course it's more fun to look at. And... Oh, it's cool as hell. Yeah. But 
That's and then it. I think there's like anything, there's a pros and cons to keeping naturalistic and uh, there's a pros and cons to the way I keep. So, right. I, I think that that statement of they can't be kept in naturalistic enclosures is, is referring to a lot of the larger retics because they're too big or they pee too much or they poop too much and they might destroy plants and all that kind of stuff. But I, I want to, again, reference you guys to our, episode with Scott Seavers um, that we did that that this guy keeps his 10-foot retics and in, in larger in, in naturalistic setups. And I think there's plug and play. You got to find out which areas the snakes aren't going to pummel the plants. And, you know, it's it might not be as easy as like a small corn snake that, you know, when it pees and poops, the, you know, the, the cleanup crew is going to just knock that out easy because obviously you can't just let a bioactive, you know, cleanup crew clean the shit the size of my forearm. Um, so there's still spot cleaning and stuff and that you got to do, but it, it's well, and let's get picky with our Patreon here a little <laughs> bit because they said we, they can't be housed naturalistically. That's not saying bioactive or anything like that. Yeah, like if you wanted to do a full mainland enclosure bioactive and have real plants and everything, you would have to plant this thing years in advance, have heavily rooted, you know, plants and trees for it to climb, that kind of thing. But, you know, naturalistic, you see it with Spencer Vance at Coiled Retics. He's doing the naturalistic thing. Scott Savers, there's plenty of people doing it. Yeah, I mean, even Scott's doing the cleanup crew. So I think, okay, so... Yeah, you can do mixes and it still works to a degree, but you're never going to be like totally maintenance-free. Yeah, not not with retakes at least. But that doesn't mean that you can't go the naturalistic or bioactive route. You absolutely can. It just, it's going to take more work than it would with a corn snake, obviously. Yeah. But just like if you were keeping them on paper. If you kept a corn snake on paper and you kept the retic on paper, you could probably let that corn snake stay on the same like four foot enclosure with paper on there for probably a month before you had to replace the paper. Whereas a retic, it pisses once and it's swimming in its own piss. You'd be spending a lot less on craft paper than I am. Right. Yeah. Dropping a hundred bucks just on paper. That's fine. <laughs> All right. Well, I feel like we can sufficiently say that that one's done for i mean oh dude that was your chance to say freaking busted i was waiting for it well there you go (laughs) (laughs) unless i mean you have any arguments against them being housed naturalistically yeah i again you can breeding anything like that i think the argument can go both ways go through your mind on this one I, I think that there's people that are doing it successfully so i think we can safely say it's been you know busted okay i just <laughs> have to have to play devil's ad advocate for a second there. i feel that i get it oh this is a fun one which one? um and this is stuff i hear about alligators all sorts of different reptiles all the time uh Keeping in smaller enclosures will limit the growth and keep them a manageable size. And I think this kind of goes both ways. I I believe there's another question that our Patreon threw on there, but uh, the, like the animal will grow to the size of the enclosure. 
Yeah. Also, let me clarify as well. These aren't like questions that they ask because they want to know. <laughs> these are myths that they're yeah, putting like, down. Wh- what That's are bullshit? Wh- what are the common things you're being asked about your pet yeah. animals when people hear that you have snakes? That yeah. kind of thing. I just don't want people listening and be like, "Well, I don't want to join their Patreon. They're a bunch of idiots that think." <laughs> uh, there are idiots. What What do you think about that, though? Um. Stunting, stunting the growth or enhancing because of the enclosure. Because of enclosure size. I mean, humans live in tiny homes, and tiny homes aren't going to stop a person from growing. Um, I, I just, I don't know. Like, growth is determined by uh, caloric intake, and doesn't matter how small of a cage that you keep it; it's not going to prevent it from growing. Uh, I, I just don't see how that's now. Maybe you can make the argument that you have such a big snake in a small enclosure that has more potential to grow, but because it's in such a small cage, you can't even feed it a big meal because it'll cram up the snake too much, so it'll stop growing eventually. But no, I think that that when when has that been when has that been debunked? I feel like if we that that wasn't like already debunked in the early two thousands, and we're we're further behind than I'd like to admit. Yeah, but it, it's a. I mean, I've heard it at least a couple times in my years of reptile keeping yeah yeah it's a ridiculous and you know i don't mean that in a a judgmental you know prick way but uh it's it's a ridiculous thing to think that you could stop an animal from growing with the size of its enclosure now if you don't feed that animal you know you can definitely stop it from growing um that goes across any animal if you don't feed it the appropriately calories it needs to uh, grow, then yeah, that's accurate. Like, yeah, if you're if you're feeding appropriately, you're not gonna limit the size of your animal by the enclosure. If you starve your animal, absolutely right. It's the same thing as like working out. People who want to build muscle need to have more protein and need to have more calories in order to build more muscle. And if you starve your body with the calories and you're working out and you're working out and you're working out, but you're not giving your body the caloric intake and the protein it needs to grow the muscles, you won't grow it. Same thing with feeding a a retake. It won't grow if you don't give it the calories it needs to grow, but um, it will grow if you do, no matter what size the enclosure is. Yep. That's a fun... I actually, actually, now that I'm thinking about this, when I first got into retakes back in 2018... I was actually told that by someone. I one one thing that's bugged me, and I they're steadfast to it this to this day. It, it's not retakes, but they said alligators never stop growing. Like, if you if you were to find a gator that were to live two hundred years, it would get exponentially longer than. Yeah, we'd have a fifty foot gator. Yeah. Uh, I mean, (laughs) you know, I guess we can make the argument that they never stop growing, but once it hits, I I feel like with even retakes and snakes in general, once they hit a certain age, it exponentially slows down down, to the point where you're talking about like three inches of growth over a four year span, five year span. Um, And that's, you know, obviously when you're dealing with the mainland and a big retake, you know, three to six inches of growth is is a good amount of weight, but um, 
why are you why are you smirking? <laughs> is there is there a sexual innuendo that's going on right now? I, I always just try to make you slip up and say something <laughs> funnier than you're intending. So, what are we going to? I, I was just, again? I was I was just waiting to hear what was coming next, Lucas. That was all. <laughs> I thought we were going like the girth versus length route again. Size matters. It's <laughs> never mind. Uh, okay, yes, Lucas. Let's go to the next one. I hear speaking, today. speaking of size, this is uh, probably one we've heard the most. Yeah, they'll size you up, and I think everyone, in terms of the reptile world, if you've been keeping large snakes long enough, or even snakes long enough, you've heard the story of the woman who kept snakes, and oh. One day the snake started acting weird, started refusing its meals, and this lady also sleeps with her snake, so she takes the snake to the vet, and vet tells her, oh, well, the, the snake's preparing to eat you. That's why it's not, it hasn't been eating, and that's why it's curling up around you when you're sleeping, to size you up. Yeah, they, 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 you I know. believe in the story, they're talking about like a four meter long snake, which is like 13 feet. No, four, four, so three, six, nine. Yeah, exactly. 13 feet. Exactly. Going to eat a, a woman. But you, you know what I like about kind of in the same story as well, like with the whole sizing up is like, oh, when a snake yawns, you know, when it yawns and opens up its mouth wide, it's unlocking its, you know, jaws and getting ready to eat you. you you're kind of jumping ahead. We have something that, that's along those lines. That's on there? Lucas. Oh, okay. All right. Well, let, let's talk about then sizing. You've never been sized up by one of your retakes before? <laughs> you haven't? I mean... All the time. I take them outside and they'll start periscoping and I think they're trying to size me up and get taller than me. And I'm like, what, bitch? You said you, said you have snakes that have bad days. I feel like when... <laughs> One of mine has their bad days. She she seems like you're she's sizing me up, but it's more just, you know, get the hell away from me. Right. Yeah. We're kidding. Okay. <laughs> Snakes don't size you up. Stop being stupid. Read. Go on yeah, Google. Not, Actually, don't go on Google because you'll probably find that. They're not. They're not having their rocky moment to hopefully one day <laughs> eat you. Yeah. There's no. There's no montage music going on in their heads. I just imagined like the people Waiting with irrational fears, just like like you're you're laying down on the couch and your snake is slithering on you, and people are like, "Well, it's it's slithering across you to see if if it's long enough to eat you." <laughs> no, you know, I, and I feel bad. It's a joke, but I feel bad because all of this comes from a place of fear. That well, and that goes against how a snake works, especially a, a, a reticulated python. Yeah, I they're just... not they're not going up to their prey, laying next to it and going, "All right, well, looks about right." Right. But I mean, how how sad is it that people could be so fearful of something that their first instinct is kill it? Doesn't need to be here. It's a nuisance. Uh, it's gonna eat you. Like that. That's a that's a high level i always tease a buddy of mine that i went to college with played baseball with in high school and college and he was my roommate and he knows i'm obsessed with snakes and he always likes to talk about and joke about the time where he you know he shoveled a snake and threw it and it hit the the telephone cord and all that kind of stuff he always likes to piss me off and and tell me shit that i know that hasn't happened but um 
I always tell them, I'm like, you know, every single time that you tell me these kind of things, it just makes me realize just how scared you are of something. <laughs> and he always shuts up. Um, but yeah, it's just, yeah. Ignorance causes fear. Yeah. Or vice versa. And a lot of believing what you hear. Yeah. Because, you know, people are always going to be irrationally afraid of snakes. And if they hear a story like that, they're going to share it. Don't listen to the Google. I've, I've even had people be so sure that they heard it from a friend of theirs who, you know, it was someone they knew. They're like, no, this happened to someone I knew. I'm like, all right, look it up online. Yeah. Or let, let's let's meet this person. That one, that one's actually debunked online, so we didn't ha even have to do any busting here. You're, that one's busted. You're, you're looking on the Google? That one's been L-Googled. Oh, Googled. Okay, so can we officially say busted? Busted. Busted. Wide open. All right. Next one that we have uh, on. We can skip. Which one? Well, after they size you up, someone said they grow to the size of their enclosure. And I feel like we've already covered that. Yeah. That, that, that'd be amazing. Could you imagine hatching out retics, putting them in a six court and never getting a snake that ever gets bigger than that? Or, you know, providing the biggest enclosure ever and having a world record breaking snake. That's yeah. not going to happen either. Yeah. You know, I'll experiment. I'll put my Solaire in the house and see if she gets 2000 square feet. Boom. Busted again. Boom. All right. <laughs> <laughs> all right let's talk about unhinging their jaw there we go that's the one you were jumping ahead to earlier yeah that's the next one up and although this kind of is this is more of like a scientific like you know there's there's a Isn't correction this just anatomy? to this yeah there's there's a correction to this right like they don't necessarily unhinge but um, if, you know, fuck, I didn't get a chance to even correct what my mind thinks I know, right? Because I could be talking shit out my mouth right now. But I'm pretty sure that their jaws at the end and where they're connected is cartilage. And that it's able to stretch and it can separate, but it's not like it necessarily unhinges. Right? Like, I feel like so that's... So, I, I have... Uh, both a Gaboon Viper skull and a Retic skull. The the thing is, is I, just the bottom jaw isn't connected in the front at a lower at a point side to side. Yeah. So they have you know independently moving bottom jaws. Okay. So Fair. think of it just as like a, a triple axis pivot point. They can open and you know spread those points spread those jaws apart yeah 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 they're they're in the front and then in the back where the back of the skull is it connects via you know it's not necessarily like a, a an actual bone it's more of Cartilage. i guess a, a, a i don't know if it's a, a ligament or a tendon or uh, yeah I don't but know. um well bone to bone would be a ligament so maybe a ligament but um, we're not doing a good job on busting this because we're not 100% scientifically correct on any of this. In, but in they terms don't unhinge. of unhinging their <laughs> jaws, unhinge. I think what people think is when they see them moving around their bottom jaw and like they think they have to adjust it back after eating its 
wait a second, it's called the quadrate bone. That's the bone that connects from the back, the lower and top jaw. But anyways, you sound very certain about this. Yeah, a snake. It's on the Google. Okay, good job, Lucas. Right, so it's on the Google. So that's what we're going with, and could be still could be very incorrect. But we know they don't unhinge, Um, and uh, watch us be completely wrong on that. And our Patreon members let us down. I mean, in terms of the anatomy of the bottom jaw, I feel like that's enough for me to say busted. I feel like us even using the word anatomy with how rough we just answered this. Well, I'm just saying, (laughs) like the whole the whole top of the jaw does not separate, does not spread apart at all. The bottom part of the jaw absolutely does to accommodate whatever prey they're eating. Yeah. Um. But that's just because it's not attached in the front. Yeah. Now, um, the next one that I think is really interesting and and a lot of people, I still see this a lot on like forums um, mm-hmm. where they're like, oh, you have a, a, a male because they're spurs, right? Spurs are the little remnants of legs through evolution that don't exist anymore, right? Our snakes have, or our snakes have legs lucas no well i mean what was left of them well do i mean do they technically not still have legs a little bit i mean like useless nubs how they're not totally useless i mean yeah they poke females when they're breeding if they walk down them and you know it's kind of funny you see them like little it looks like a nub is that insensitive to say i'm sorry Maybe. I don't know. But females have spurs too. <laughs> females have spurs. What I would say on this one is males will have, especially in a mature male versus a mature female, you'll have more pronounced spurs mm-hmm. on yeah. a male. Yeah. But it's not an indication of sex. If you see spurs, that does not mean it's a male. Don't ever sell a snake as a male because it just has spurs Mm -hmm. that is not the way to do it you need to probe it you need to pop it lock and drop it but that's just kind of the you're getting tired of me tonight you just rolled your (laughs) fucking eyes at me um and that uh, that one was cheesy i don't know if it's just because it's halloween night or (laughs) what's gotten into you i've had a lot of candy all right sugar high so yeah, only males have spurs? No, absolutely not. Busted. All right. Uh this one kind of goes back to our our first myth, but more all-encompassing of reticulated pythons this time. Retics are overly aggressive. Yeah. So are snakes aggressive, Nathan? No. No. What are they? defensive or hungry yeah i mean and then you add in the intelligence of a reticulated python then you know if it's a snake that's had a series of bad interactions with people you know you have a a snake that's more likely to be defensive or what people would view as aggressive but in their nature no no snake is out to hurt people 
Yeah, so busted on the account of aggression. Um, snakes fall under the category of, you know, they're defensive, they're in food mode, defensive mode, or thinking mode. Um, that's the three that I like to categorize, and they they are not aggressive. But let's talk about, let's say, like, someone's like, well, I don't mean aggressive. I just mean that they bite a lot or that they're they're, you know, defensive or they're just... You know, what I see this is like, stay away from retics because they're biters. Can we debunk that? That they're... Ooh. Long pause. That they're biters? I, I mean, yeah, we can, we can debunk that. Yeah. Yeah, I totally think so because... Up until this stupid mailing clutch that I've had, I've probably been bit only three times in owning these snakes for five years. I mean, you're you're more likely to get bit by hatchlings, but that's about it. Yeah, I mean, for anybody who's just keeping like a pet retic or or you know has even a handful or ten retics, um, you know, I don't think that they. I, I think that that comes from like aggressive. You're, you're more retics. likely to get bit by any animal that is new to this world and is still trying to figure out what's going on right my daughter bit me all the time thinking i had tits to feed her when she was a baby yeah luckily she was all gums yeah exactly um just for you lucas (laughs) no but i think that i think that idea still stems from what we dealt with early in the 90s and 80s when we were importing retics um and yeah the imports for a lot of these animals were nasty they were scared they didn't they were removed from the wild they were taken here they were put in boxes they're on um, snake farms, which who knows how they are dealt with there. Yeah, exactly. And and it doesn't, you know, a lot of people that deal with large defensive animals also don't do it in a, a sometimes, sometimes they don't do it in a productive way. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just keeps facilitating and reinforcing their fear of this human that they think is trying to kill them because there's not a lot of things in the wild that a large retic needs to be afraid of killing it a human is absolutely one of them. Um, Through evolution, snakes, for as long as humans have been around, snakes and humans have had to coexist in villages. And that was a snake's, a large snake's main predator was humans, skin trade, uh, food. uh, Apex predator, baby. Yeah, yeah, we're on the top of the chain um, for horrible reasons, but we are. and so they are scared of us naturally, just like for some reason we're innately scared of snakes. Um, you know, that's been passed down culturally. Snakes are afraid of us because we can kill them. Um, and so, but now that we are so many generations into the captive stuff, and even me, that, you know, 80% of my collection is F1s, um, I don't get bit. Um, they just have an intense food response. And I think if you don't understand that, it comes off as my snake's aggressive. Like it's aggressively looking for food. And I can assure you, it'd probably rather try to swallow a rat or rabbit instead of you. But um, yeah, they're, I don't know, man. I was just talking about my male Slayer that literally is a freaking puppy. Um, I have like. Well, and then I have a male that, you know, half the time, pretty easy to deal with. Half the time, he's looking at me like competition. Oh, he's one of those. Yeah. Okay. He, so you have can, a horny male. He can be a little weird. Yeah. Okay. But um, uh, yeah, I just figure he's ready to go this year. It's it's so weird that I mean, I, 
I would say that I'm probably, I feel like I'm an outlier in the, uh, like when people say that like males towards males and during breeding season, when they reach sexual maturity, everyone's always like, watch out for males. A lot of people are always like, buy a, a female instead of a I male. I think it's more an individual thing because I have another male that, you know, he's yeah. around that age too. And because in the same environment and he's a totally different animal. Like my top five well-behaved snakes, breeding season or not, are probably all males. Yeah. Um, my females are the the hungry savages that they. Uh, the hunger they miss- thing I think is pretty easy to navigate, though. Yeah, it is. Um, you just punch them in the face, and then they, no, you tap them, and you, <laughs> you get them out of the right. It's like they tell you to punch a shark if it's you know near you. So square in the nose, <laughs> right? Um, don't try that at home, kids. But no, my males are are sweethearts. But no, I don't think that retics are overly aggressive. I don't think that they're overly defensive either. I think that retics probably at this point are some of the most confident animals. You just have to understand what a food response is, and if you understand that, it, there's there's uh, you'll be able to really see that you know retics are not mean snakes okay lucas the next one um 50 superdorf males will only get seven to eight feet man double-edged sword because yes and no I'm, I'm gonna i'll let you answer the yes i'm gonna answer the no <laughs> Only because I've had already uh, two wild my, top male Mine would colors. answer both, but done, I, done properly, yes, it can can very well happen that you can get a seven to eight foot male out of a fifty percent super dwarf. At what age? Four, five, six. Okay, that's seven. fine. Is a is a fourteen year old fifty percent super dwarf male going to be seven feet? I'll tell you in eight nine years let me know um so i I think that there's a little bit that that plays into this number one my my devil's advocate to that statement is i've owned two wild caught males both over a decade old both of them eight feet and those are kalatoa pure super dwarfs um that at over a decade years old uh are are both eight feet um and then the other devil's advocate to that, that we could also kind of play, uh, you know, we could talk about that is, is I think generally speaking in captivity, we do tend to, whether we are aware of it or not, I think we tend to feed males less. Um, we don't, we don't push males to cycle with food, with bigger meals. You know, once, once a male reaches three to four years old, we kind of at that point are giving them the same size meal every two weeks but if we if we were to actually give it a big meal, I think that we could push more growth into that animal without making it obese. And we, we would be seen because I have, with my own eyes, um, I've seen a 16-foot retic male. Um, and I've talked to people like Wolfgang and uh, other people that have kept wild-caught animals that feed all their animals the same. And I've had number of people tell me that males don't really stay that much smaller than females. Um, if they're fed, like you feed females. Uh, so it's hard for me to like 
yes, I think that Nathan is correct in the sense of like it, it can happen. It can happen, but like definitely don't ever bank on it. No, um no, because no, no. because your pure superdorf male is going to hit seven to eight feet by the if, time that it's ten years old. Selling point that someone's trying to throw your way then yeah don't don't believe that selling point right if it happens because for whatever reason you you got a great animal to work with to take to other animals but um if someone is telling you yeah this 50 percent super dwarf male is only going to be seven to eight feet uh maxed out like i i wouldn't buy that and that's just my opinion because, again, I have living proof right now in my garage that a pure Superdorf male that I have is eight feet. And uh, I have a number of animals in my garage that fit kind of that scenario that are already larger than that. Yeah, it's hard because I've seen animals that share the same lineage, both females, one's a proven breeder, a year older, and she's just a inch or two over nine foot and the other one you know she's over 10 foot easily 10 mm -hmm. pounds heavier and a totally different animal so i think it, it comes down to you know luck of the draw and what they get in their genetic buildup yeah um you know and on the flip side of this i also kind of want to put in a little myth about mainland retics and the idea that mainland retics are giants and all of them are going to be massive snakes and uh you know the the whole like you know i hear a lot of people you know and they'll, they'll say it kind of like in a funny way but i know it's kind of what they're thinking in the back of their mind when they're like yeah i just want to get a pure superdorf because i don't want to end up with an 18 to 20 foot snake and I promise you, even if you get a mainland Sulawesi, it's super unlikely that it's going to get 18 to 20 feet. Like retics don't get that big anymore in captivity. A lot of the big blood is dead. Um, a lot of the stuff that got that big in captivity was overfed. Um, and at the end of the day, I really genuinely think that your mainland retic average is a 14 to 15 foot animal. Like they, they're, they're not the 18 to 20 foot monsters that most people are just like, oh, a mainland is absolutely... Now, don't get me wrong, a 14, 15-foot mainland at 125 pounds is a big-ass snake, but they're they're not monster big anymore. There still are animals out there that exist. I know Chip has some. I know... Um, Do you think it's people that are able to more properly feed their mainland reticulated pythons, like find appropriate prey size, that kind of thing? It could be, it could be appropriate main, uh, uh, meal size. It could be, uh, the combination or lack thereof of activity. You know, that study that Lori Torini was talking to us about on that episode about, you know, uh, the, the, the vast space that retics travel in a day and we're, we're over here. Oh, that's one that I'm going to put on here. Um, that we'll save, but that they, they, you know, they, they travel a lot and, um, so exercise with big meals, with exercise, with big meals creates large animals. And with mainlands, we've done so much of the inbreeding and line breeding stuff that I just, I, I think that genetically we are creating inferior genetics just with the mainland stuff. And that is causing these animals to be smaller. 
Okay. That, and that that's not factual. That's just my conceptualization, my theory on just it. A, but yeah. Because, I mean, when's the last time, uh, outside of Weston, how many people do you see in the U.S. showing off their 20-foot retakes? Uh, he who shan't be named. Um, and Yeah, uh, that piece of shit. But <laughs> You're right. No, I mean. Uh, it's, they're just not out there anymore. Eric Lee is close. But He's got I an 18-footer? 18-something. 18, 18 what is it, Pied? Is that his Pied or... No, platinum. That's platinum. Okay. I thought I thought it was a platinum, but I could be wrong. Oh, are you talking about? Is that Eric Lee? Or are you talking about the one at Reach Out Red Tiles that Rob has? No, I'm talking about Eric Lee. But yeah, we could talk about Karma as well. Karma, yeah, Karma's a big girl. And then, you know, obviously Jade's got some big ass snakes, but they're also like a bus wide. Um, so I'm sure Kevin in his heyday had a few that were over twenty. Right, like heyday, though, right? Like, so back yeah, I mean, when he, he's genetic not working pool was with better. Retics like he used to. Yeah, we, we just don't see them anymore. So I also yeah. think that that is a myth that can be busted, is that retics, you know, are, are very, very, very rarely going to exceed the 16, 17-foot mark now. Yeah, I, I think a really good-sized female, 17, 18 feet, is, like, the biggest y- you should prepare for. Yeah, um, let me see here. There was, I'm going to add one before we jump to the other, cause we're kind of on the, the, the topic, um, that I don't remember if I wrote it down on the, the thread or not, but, um, that retakes don't need a lot of space because they're ambush predators. They just sit in one place in the wild and they wait for food to come by. I don't like yes, that. Y- yes, they will do that. Yes, they will hunt. But I would say they're probably more like an arboreal python. When they they hunt, they move to the spot they're going to be hunting from. And they, you know, like we see them in cave systems picking off bats, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, But, you know, a lot of the times... You, you see these animals by riverside and you know they're using the rivers to navigate really big portions of land so uh, you know i don't think of them as just purely ambush predators at all but yes do they use ambush in hunting sure yeah i think i think where i'm coming from this is i see a lot of people talk about like you know mainlands don't need to have these large huge enclosures because in the wild mostly what they do is sit there and they wait for food to come by but i'm going to read a quote that Lori torini posted and we talked about on our podcast and the study is going to come out soon um but they're extremely active she said in the wild they can have home ranges of 10 to 50 hectares hectare hect hectares hectares and cover 50 to 500 meters a night, which clearly they can't do in a cage. Um, And so this is a study that's going to be coming out soon this year in 2023, if it's not out already. Um, And they went out to Indonesia and they studied the home range of individual retics. Um, 50 to 500 meters in one night does not indicate that these snakes stay in one place and they wait for food to come by, they eat it. You know, they piss and they shed, and to get away from its scent, they just move to the next spot. No. These snakes are active, and if any of you don't know that they're active, go ahead and get a camera in your snake room, and when it's nighttime, and just look at the camera. You'll see your snakes doing this all night long. 
Um, Accident- and- accidentally leave one side of your cage unlocked <laughs> with a breeding male and have cameras in your room and watch him arch against the ovulating female's cage for hours. Right. <laughs> right. Um, they need, they need space. And, and I'm not, I'm not bashing people that are keeping their snakes in. Look, look at our experiment with our, with our sky hides and the bigger shelves and right. climbing perches, you know, what, what was the first thing we noticed with, that big focus cube build yeah i mean i the the movement the exercise they love the sky hide but i i see mine in a new place every day like i saw it on the floor i saw it on the shelf i saw it in the sky hide yeah unless they're in a shed cycle or just eight they're not just sitting in one spot right um and then it's funny to me that like what's one of the biggest cues that we know that a retic is hungry glass surfing glass surfing right it starts moving back and forth and so it's funny to think that in the wild that these animals are just gonna when they're hungry they're just gonna sit there and wait when when to us they're just constantly they're intelligent they know where food comes from so they're gonna sit and wait where food comes from almost like a dog waiting for its treat right and that's funny i do like that i like all of my swing open doors every time that i see a snake that's hungry all it's doing is just leaning it's freaking body up against the the top of the door and its face is right up where where i would open it but yeah yeah so you know and, and i'm not saying you guys need to keep because they move five to five hundred you know meters in one night i'm not saying that you guys need walk-ins for your large retakes no but they do need to come out and they could use exercise because they're not just snakes that in the wild sit there um and if you're going to make the argument that, oh, most people that find them in the wild, they're literally sitting there, it's probably because they hear you when you're freaking 100 yards away and they're stopping and frozen because fight, flight, or freeze and they're waiting for their next move. Um, so I feel passionate about that one because uh, I got into a, a really good discussion. It wasn't like a, a dickhead conversation that you normally see on Facebook with someone on one of Weston's posts. Wesson was talking about his cages. He plans to get bigger cages, even though he kind of was responsible for setting the industry standard for 10 feet for mainlands. But he also talked about, and he shows on a daily basis, he takes his big girls out in this huge property that he has. He gives them exercise. He lets them roam the, the, the shop that he has. And he does more than just keep them in the 10 footer. Um, well, and a lot of mainland keepers will be like, oh, well, I don't have that kind of space. And then that's kind of what reconsider. Comes... Exactly. <laughs> maybe, maybe a mainland reticulated python isn't for everyone. You yeah. Know? Or but instead the, of and... the people that are able to keep them responsibly and, you know, push the standards of what caging can look like for animals that you know as were described to me when i first got into larger pythons as the michael jordan of large constrictors like they're long and lean animals they're not dormant fat lazy creatures so why would i just expect to put it in a box where it can't stretch out vertically you know climb a little bit get some tone to it yeah goes against everything that animal was sold to me as yeah and if you and if you can't and if if you say well my retic just lays in its cage and it doesn't move much but you're also not giving it room to move that's not a valid argument either 
Um, but yeah, I just want to throw out that that myth that we can say has been busted. <laughs> At least from my perspective. People might disagree with me and I'm okay with that. We can have difference of opinions, but they need to move. Um, they're not just inactive ambush predators that sit still all day, every day. All right, Lucas, there's no such thing as a dwarf or super dwarf. Nah. That's my favorite. I see so many breeders, mainland breeders, that, that have that argument. And um, I respect all of you, but you're wrong. You're super wrong. <laughs> I, I'll play de- devil's advocate. There is no such thing as a dwarf or super dwarf. You're right. It's it's a marketing term, but <sighs> that's, Genius. that's it. There Genius. are locality reticulated pythons that absolutely stay smaller than other locality reticulated pythons. When it comes down to it, locality reticulated pythons is... <laughs> Lucas, that Whoa. was... <laughs> It was dumb as shit. And I, I was, love it. I was saying two words. And oh. yeah, there we go. That's cool. Okay. Thank you, StreamYard. Oh, I hate it. I hate it. Hold on. Wait, let's try one more thing. Uh, I didn't know StreamYard did that. Cool. So we're, we're talking about the, the python that has the largest range of any other python in the world. And to say that there's not going to be genetic diversity in terms of geographical location of where, you know, where these things are coming from, there's, I, I mean, I, I just think that's silly. Yeah. So especially when we're talking about islands that are right. way off the coast of the mainland of where we usually find these animals. Right. And the reason why I was chucking up the deuces, but what I was really doing is two words, um, two words that can describe why super dwarfs exist and dwarfs. Um, and that is insular dwarfism. And that is the process and the example of a large animal that evolves and reduces their body size because their population range is limited to a small environment, a.k.a. Kalatoa, Madu, Karumpa, Kaiwadi. They are smaller islands. They separated from the mainland probably a gajillion years ago. I don't know how long ago, but... Um, these animals got stranded on these islands, or if you think they swam there, cool, but now they're stuck there and they don't have large prey. And so, um, uh, the argument of, uh, competition as well. Yeah. And co- exactly. Um, Those large monitor species that were, yeah. Um, to, you know, cohabitate with. Exactly. So if you don't think that that Superdorf and Dorfs don't exist, I would encourage you to read the science behind insular dwarfism, and that is your answer. Um, so we don't even need to go too much into detail because I know most people that will hear this are probably laughing because they, they have experience and know that they exist. But um, 
I, I think a lot of that rhetoric comes from the people that like, oh, I can feed a super dwarf and still get it 11 feet. It's like, yeah, you can power feed the hell out of a Kalatoa. Or I can maintenance feed my mainland. mainland and, right? Yeah. Or I can power feed my mainland and get a 150, 200 pound snake. It's like, you know, it's, it's, if you're going to, if, if you're going to state one thing for the Superdorf population, you got to be able to state the same thing for the mainland population and come up with a different result, but you don't, you get the same result. So they do exist. They're smaller. They're not tiny. We're still not dealing with corn snakes here. We're not dealing with ball pythons. We're not dealing with. I mean, with... if you underfeed a, a, a male pure Kalatoa, you could probably keep it to corn snake size. Is it going to be a healthy animal? No. No, it'll die early, and every time you open up its enclosure, it's going to want to eat you, and <laughs> like it's going to want to rip you apart because it's hungry. But don't don't be that guy. Um, just feed it appropriately and let it grow to the size it's supposed to get, and love it every step of the way, regardless if you know you're trying to get a seven foot snake and it ends up nine, you're going to love it still. Speaking of loving it still, and you know, I think last but not least biggest myth of them all when we're talking about retics and especially when we're new getting into retics lucas they're big animals they lay a lot of eggs that means a lot of babies i'm gonna get rich quick <sighs> i'm gonna make so much money selling snakes you know i will say this you can make good money breeding retakes if you have the right projects the right animals and you understand the market but your expenses are always going to be high and ask anybody right now how they're doing with this economy and how they're selling snakes and tell me if they're rich um also i have yet to see one person who is just a retake breeder uh that decided to expand and go big and that has gotten rich like it's just Ask anybody who's balling right now and like did breeding. They build it? Oh, did you cut out? Oh, I was going to say, ask anybody right now who's making a lot of money in the reptile industry and all of that money that's coming in that they're like, if that they're making like hundreds of thousands, if not a million dollars every couple of years, um, it's social media. It's, it's, it's TikTok, it's YouTube, it's, it's, uh, uh, it's having your own TV show, Jay. Um, it's, it's doing that stuff like that gets you money. But if you do that, sometimes you got to do the stuff that's semi questionable with ethics, right? The, the biting, the feeding, the, the taking out a mean, aggressive snake so that people, you know, watch you and, and pay you. But um, or other people that are, are successful in the industry, they, they also breed and sell rodents or they make cages or I was, was going to say the, the only person I know, Oh, your mic, your mic. Can you turn it up? I don't I think it's my, uh, Oh, there oh it was my mic. Okay. Yep. That was my bad. I, I was going to say before I cut out and all of my uh, difficulties over here, um, I don't know of a single person who's become rich solely off of retics yeah no i know people that have sold really high dollar retics but that money quickly goes like you were saying expenses are high when you're talking about maintaining a reticulated python breeding program right also 
rich is subjective, right? For one person, rich is being a millionaire, and for one person, rich is making a hundred k a year. Rich, um, rich to me is a, a dollar amount that will sustain you for an extended period of time. But rich, rich is I can make any purchase I want and not worry if I have it. And I'm talking about any purchase. Like I can yeah. walk up to a dealership, I can get an Acura NSX and a freaking Denali Dooley, uh, uh, Dooley diesel right off the lot and not worry about it. That's rich to me. Yeah. Um, but um, rich is like when my kids don't have to worry. Uh, and yeah, that, that doesn't happen. Um, so don't buy into that. Um, you can, like I said, you can make money, but you're also going to spend money. Um, and I've always been the believer that, you know, I was actually having a conversation with Adler about this. I give the advice now because I've learned from my lessons, but stay small. If you actually want to see the money that you're making, and you want to be able to spend it and have fun with it and or or save up or you know college fund for kid or take yourself to college whatever don't go big uh i don't i swear i i need to like do a a, a like i don't know why but like in most other businesses i feel like you know when you expand the more revenue that you make and the more money that you make but with for some reason at least in my experience and some others that i've talked to with retix if, if you have like eight retics and you have three clutches a year of, of quality animals, you're going to be pocketing so much more of that money versus someone who has 50 retics and has eight clutches a year because the, the, I, the I still think money, it's, it's not a significantly that much different because you're always investing into something else. Well, well, yeah, but what I'm trying to say is like your expenses when you with retic specifically because of the size enclosure, the size meals, your expenses just become astronomical when you start to get a lot more animals. Um, and I've mm-hmm. I've seen that within myself. Um, and then when you have the years that your your parents don't work out or there's bust and there's there's infertile clutches and slugs and stuff like that, and you were hoping and praying that you had good clutches to sell and you don't. Oof, you're in the hole a lot if you have a lot of animals. So, yeah, you're, you're not going to get rich breeding retics, period. Um, you're not. It, it's just not a feasible business idea. Uh, don't pitch it to your mom and dad. <laughs> don't be dumb and pitch it to your wife like me. Um, and uh, just grow slow. Enjoy the process. One clutch at a time. And you'll make money, right? But But... Um, my biggest advice is like, don't quit your day job to be a Bre- retic. Breed them because you have a passion to progress something in retics. Yeah. Don't, don't quit your day job to be a retic breeder. It'd be the worst move you'll make in your life. Yep. All right. Wrapping up. Um, for those of you that hung on, appreciate y'all. Um, if you guys are not yet subscribed and you've liked this episode or you stumbled upon it, go ahead and hit that subscribe button, hit the notification. We release an episode every Friday and this week is episode 66. So we are 66 weeks strong with this actually 64 weeks strong with two lives, but, uh, we appreciate all the support so far. We are close to one K subscribers. So help us get there, share our podcast. If you guys like, and you guys support us, help us get there. Um, we would love to see more people sharing the stuff. If you believe that what we're doing is, is, you know, good for new people to get their eyes on or, or for anyone to watch and uh, 
Nathan, you got anything else before we head out? No, uh, we'll see you on the next one. Uh, make sure you're liking, engaging in the comments. That really helps us. And if you're listening to us on Spotify or Apple, make sure to just give us a quick rate. Yeah, and like the video as well. That helps with the algorithms, helps us out. And uh, we will see you all on the flippity flip. <laughs>